On this episode of Cinema Smorgasbord Presents with your own stunts, Jackie Chan continues his American excursion with Hal Needham's all-star cross-country race comedy, The Cannonball Run from 1981. Welcome to We Do Our Own Stunts, a chronological look at the life and work of martial arts superstar Jackie Chan. I'm Doug Tilly, and with me as always is the world's deadliest man, Liam O'Donnell. How are you doing today, Liam? You know what, Doug? I've been better, but I've been worse, so there you go. Liam, have you ever been in a car race? You ever raced your car against anybody? No, that sounds like a really dumb idea. How do you mean? Uh, it's dangerous, <laughs> and it, there's no benefit to it. <laughs> what if you were in a Back to the Future type situation, and you were at a, you were at a light, and next he was flee from the Red Hot Chili Peppers, calling you a chicken. And like, have you ever played chicken on the road? If if Flea was next to me, I don't think I would race him. I think I would be like, oh, my God, Flea, what are you doing? Not in your cryogenic chamber. <laughs> are you a Flea guy? Do you like Flea? I mean, I want to like Flea because he's been an active musician for a long time. And he's one of the few people who... Seems to have made all the money in the world, but still stayed weird. You sure. know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And I don't mean celebrity weird. I mean like punk weird, right? Like yeah, yeah. I think lots of people make a lot of money and then become weirdo celebrities, which is can be funny on its own too. But also, Flea was in Fear, which mm-hmm. is like you know, Fear is very problem problematic in its way, but also kind of fun. So I would like to hear stories about that too. Uh, but here's the thing: while I have enjoyed Flea as like a random guy and <laughs> things. I hate Red Hot Chili Peppers. And not just like I hate the weird pop band that Red Hot Chili Peppers became. Sure. I don't like the weird funk punk they did in the beginning when they were actually a legit band. Like it's like they sold out something that was already bad. And and to be honest, rock and roll Red Hot Chili Peppers is way less annoying than funk punk Red Hot Chili Peppers. (laughs) But I still don't like it. You know what I mean? So it's like, oh, you guys learned how to write songs. That's cool. But also, I don't like this music very much. So I guess it's not that cool. I don't don't know. It's like, how much can you really like someone when he's been doing something you hate for 40 years? So long. I mean, again, don't get me wrong. He seems like a legit dude. Like everything about him, he doesn't. So let's, let's say you could compare him weirdly to Keith Morris, right? Because even though Red Hot Chili Peppers got huge and nothing Keith Morris did ever got huge, sure, they've both been doing music in the same scene for a long time. But Keith Morris kind of got up his own asshole a little bit, you know? And it's like, yo, man, your buddy Flea, who you've known for a million years, is in a band that, like, people actually know. Like, kids, I'll tell you what, as a guy who used to be a, a, a substitute teacher... Young kids still like Red Hot Chili Peppers, which is psychotic to me. But there were high schoolers in Red Hot Chili Pepper shirts. No one cares about the circle jerks anymore. Like, you can't walk around like you're the god of punk rock when no one remembers you, really. You know what I mean? But Keith Morris thinks he is a fucking gift to the world. And Flea seems like a humble, normal dude. But the difference is circle jerks have, like, at least one, if not two, good records. And Red Hot Chili Peppers has no good records. So it's 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 a hard thing. It's a hard comparison to make. Well, Liam, uh, speaking of punk rock, we're here to talk about the most punk rock actor. Oh, so, Jackie yeah, Chan. yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and uh, as usual, uh, we're going to start with a little bit of a look forward. Uh, today's episode is going to mark the end of Jackie Chan's first American experiment. We uh, talked about 
the big brawl or Battle Creek brawl in our most recent episode. And this episode is on the Cannonball Run. After that, we're going to be returning, Liam, <laughs> mercifully, to Hong Kong for 1982's Dragon Lord, followed by Jimmy Wang Yu's Fantasy Mission Force, then back to Low Wei's uh, ridiculous cash in Fearless Hyena 2, which just uses old footage of Jackie Chan. But after that, we're going to get to the trifecta of Winners and Sinners, Project A, Wheels on Meals. We're going to get to, <laughs> after that, I think this is episode 19 of this podcast. Once we get into the 20s, Liam, it's going to start to get good again. I promise you. All right, if you say so. <laughs> it's always interesting, even when it isn't necessarily good. Actually, I think we've been, you know, I think we've we've gained up to this point a better appreciation a lot of Jackie Chan's earlier films, but you know, we we knew from the beginning it was going to take a while to get to uh, you know, your project A's and Oh yeah, of course, of course. and police stories and things like that and but we're just about there. We're, we're up to the mid 80s almost. But before we get to the mid 80s, we got to get through the early 80s and that includes The Cannonball Run, a movie I'm really looking forward to talking about Liam because there's a lot going on in it and i had not seen that movie for probably 30 years um and i know a lot of people of our age group have a lot of nostalgia for that movie liam you ever encounter some cannonball nostalgia yeah unfortunately yeah we see it every once even when i said i was watching it i encountered it a little bit but we'll talk about that in just a little bit uh beforehand liam there isn't a lot of recent jackie chan news but i wanted to talk to you before we get into a few quotes from his books about some of the things that Jackie Chan is doing in 2024. He has two announced movies coming out, uh, and I thought we could just go through them just briefly to see uh, what your interest level is in them. It's going to be a long time before we get to talk about them on this particular podcast. We're going to start with 2024's Project P, a.k.a. Panda Plan. Uh, This is described as an international action superstar. I'm going to guess that that's Jackie Chan. And his assistant are involved in a transnational rescue operation of the mysterious protagonist P, the top international superstar. It's a weirdly written uh, plot summary there. Um, I'm going to guess that this mysterious protagonist or some aspect of it actually involves pandas since the alternate title of this is Panda Plan. And we know that Jackie has notoriously been a big panda supporter, panda fan for years. Uh, what do you think about this idea? Project P, Liam. Sure. <laughs> you a big fan of panda bears? Yeah, they seem fine. I mean, they're cute, I guess. Um, I guess I like videos of them. They yes. they apparently like to wrestle their keepers at various yes, zoos. Like absolutely. that's their favorite thing is fucking with the humans who are in charge of them. That seems cool. I do wonder when a species is so uninterested in fucking that uh-huh. all of science has to figure out a way to get them to continue the species. There's a small part of me that's like, really, though? Is this like a good use of our time and resources? <laughs> the other thing about that is, uh, and this is something that I see from compilation videos, is that they're incredibly self-destructive. Like, they yeah. are just yeah. falling on their heads, falling off tall structures onto their skulls all the time. And it's just like, they are so committed to not existing anymore. <laughs> Maybe we should just listen to what they're trying to put out into the world. But Jackie doesn't agree. Jackie's going to save all the pandas. I mean, look, evolution is at the point where we're starting to notice all kinds of animals starting to learn to use tools. Uh And, you know, famously, orcas are learning that they can fuck up yachts and it's cool. So, like, if we're going to have all that positive evolution, maybe we just need to let negative evolution do its thing and say goodbye to our friends. Look. (laughs) I'm all for saving every species when it comes to the fact that we destroy 
the planet and thus destroy these poor animals. And so, like, we should do whatever we can. But it's not clear to me that we are the primary villain when it comes to the end of pandas. It seems like they're pretty good at taking care of themselves, so to speak. So I don't, I don't know, Doug. I don't know. Maybe I'm being a, a cynic. But <laughs> Liam says, "Kill all the pandas." No, I just, I'm not saying that at all. I'm saying, but let's just stop getting in the way. Let them do their thing. All right. Well, maybe it's just. Maybe it's just hard to get turned on when you have a lot of scientists staring that at you. That might That's be it, I, too, actually, now that I think about it. Also announced, Liam, is 2024's A Legend, uh, which is apparently both a sequel to Jackie's 2005 film The Myth, as well as the 2017 Indian Hong Kong film Kung Fu Yoga. This is described as an archaeologist noticed that the texture of the relics discovered during the excavation of a glacier closely resembled a jade pendant seen in one of his dreams. He and his team then embark on an expedition into the depths of of the glacier uh this one's directed by stanley tong uh the director of some of jackie's best 90s films like rumble in the bronx super cop and first strike but also the director of 2005's the myth which i haven't seen but that was i don't think it was very necessarily well received this one seems like maybe it, it could be a little more interesting seems like it's going back to even with the title to something like project a yeah i mean i'm kind of uh i'm certainly curious about it um I, again there has to be some um Willingness to accept that you're not going to get that that current Jackie Chan can't do the things that former Jackie Chan. Of could. course, mm -hmm. but this could be an opportunity for him to act as like a mentor character to some younger people. So there might still be some exciting stuff in there, as well as you know Jackie. And as much as I don't love a lot of newer Jackie Chan movies, he's still charming. So the movie mm. still has an opportunity for him. But I do worry that just the tone of the write up makes me worry that it's going to be one of his more serious performances and his more recent serious films have kind of not been very good to me personally, yeah. but I have heard that the horse one is pretty good. I've is that heard true. I've heard is that good. true? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. Honestly, I'm interested in that actually. Okay. Well, I mean, maybe we'll check that out at some point. Yeah, this one, I mean, I'm hoping that this one has more of like an Indiana Jones type. Uh, sure. Tone sure, to sure, it, sure. Right. So, so, uh, you know, hope springs eternal. All right, let's get into some of Jackie's thoughts on the making of Cannonball Run. I'm going to start with a little excerpt. I'm glad that you haven't read some of this, I'm certain, Liam, because uh, some of this might be a bit of a surprise to you. This is from his book, Never Grow Up. After we wrapped the big brawl, the studio booked me for another film right away. Andrew was delighted. It's called The Cannonball Run. Tons of Hollywood stars are lined up to appear in this with you. It's not an action film, so you can focus on the acting. The name alone gave me a good feeling. Cannonball was my childhood nickname, after all. I hope this film wouldn't be as rigidly directed as The Big Brawl. I played a Japanese race car driver, which I wasn't comfortable with, but it was too late to change, so I had to make the most of it. The Hollywood stars in the film, Burt Reynolds, Sammy Davis Jr., Farrah Fawcett, Dom DeLuise, Liam's favorite Dom DeLuise, Dean Martin, Roger Moore, would say hello pol politely when they saw me, but that was it. No recognition of who I was or acknowledgement of what I'd done. That was when I realized I wasn't actually a major star. As a Chinese saying goes, there is always a taller mountain. I might be big in Hong Kong, but in Hollywood, I was nobody. When I returned to Hong Kong after the shoot, I told every famous person I knew, you should visit the States to learn what a, what a megastar actually is. I thought I was impressive with my 4.8 million Hong Kong paycheck, about $600,000 American. American stars made $5 million per movie. I had big dreams about making that kind of money, and I would far exceed it later in life. But at that point, on that set, it seemed very far off if it was possible at all. Sammy Davis Jr. did make a point of talking to me. He said, I've just come back from Japan. I know you're famous over there. I'm from Hong Kong, not Japan, I said. Oh, right, you're a Hong Konger. Sayonara. He spoke Japanese to me every time we met, and I didn't bother correcting him. 
He wasn't the only one. Most everyone assumed I was Japanese, and I couldn't make them understand that I wasn't. I didn't have too many lines. My role was to pull silly faces to get laughs. Days would go by without my having to talk at all. I started to feel more and more depressed on set and finally stopped speaking to anyone. I just sat in a corner, sulking. During that entire time in Hollywood, when I turned up at events in a suit, people would ask, Where are you from? Hong Kong. Oh, Hong Kong. Is that part of Japan? No, Hong Kong is Hong Kong, and Japan is Japan. Many of the people I met had no idea where Hong Kong was or that all Asian countries didn't have the same culture. I got the idea to reinforce that I was Chinese by wearing traditional Chinese clothes, which ultimately became part of my brand. Uh, the Cannibal Run was released in 1981. My name and the name of Michael Hui, my Chinese co-star, were both prominently featured in the Asian posters to ensure sales. In America, Burt Reynolds got top billing. The film did well in Japan and America, but did badly in Hong Kong. My fans did not want to see me playing a Japanese character, nor were they happy that I'd been relegated to comic relief, the butt of jokes, for a bunch of Americans. Uh, any thoughts on that, Liam? Uh, not Does not reflect well on uh, the American perspective on both Jackie Chan's fame at that time, uh, nor how they uh, approached Asian actors in general. I mean, none of that is a surprise to me, Doug. I no. Don't, I don't know, yeah. Especially after watching the movie, expect. it's not a surprise, right? No, yeah, 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 yeah. The movie re really reinforces a lot of the misconceptions. It's, I will say that, uh, for all the failings of the modern movie industry and the fact, you know, and, and variations of this sort of thing still happens. This specific thing where a Chinese actor is playing Japanese and has to basically play a stereotypical Japanese role as a Chinese, that doesn't happen quite as often anymore, though I think back to Memoirs of a Geisha and that exact same thing was sort of happening in that movie as well. Yeah, 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 yeah. I, I just... I wish it was a different experience, but he, but reading or hearing it, I guess, while well, you read it, it's very much like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. This is, this is about what it is. The the, I mean, we're gonna get into the movie, but even the movie can't figure out how to cynically mock these characters because even in its mocking, it combines Japanese and Chinese things. Yeah, and it's really like, uh, all right, guys, we clearly don't know what the fuck we're doing here. Um, uh, his uh, other book, his earlier book, I Am Jackie Chan, it tells basically the exact same story. I'm just going to read a little tiny bit here. It says that, um, this was his, his assistant, David said, well, as I said, the next film is different. It's not a Kung Fu film, so you won't have to worry about that kind of action. You can just be yourself. That statement was about as wrong as you could get. In Cannibal Run, I played a race car driver who was Japanese because I wasn't supposed to be American. I didn't really have to speak any lines, at least not any English ones. All I had to do was make funny faces. There was a little bit of fighting, but nothing interesting. It could have been anyone playing my role. It certainly didn't have to be Jackie Chan. Except for the fact that Golden Harvest was trying to cover all of its bases. My co-star in the film was Michael Hui, Mr. Boo himself, Golden Harvest's other big superstar. With him and me in the cast, they could guarantee that the film would sell in Asia, and it did very well in Japan, billed as Jackie Chan and Michael Hui in Cannonball Run with Burt Reynolds. And in America, it was advertised as Burt Reynolds in Cannonball Run with Jackie Chan and Michael Hui way at the bottom, which is absolutely true. In fact, I don't think Michael Hui gets even in the opening credits. Uh, at least Jackie gets uh, somewhat a featured uh, name here. Uh, a little bit more sympathetic to the movie generally is the book uh, Jackie Chan Inside the Dragon by Clyde Gentry III. It says, Chan would next appear in two Cannonball Run films made in 1981 and 1983. I remember totaling up the cost for the cars and actors and finding that I needed more money, said director Hal Needham. Needham met with Golden Harvest and arranged for the films to be made as co-productions, giving Chan yet another opportunity to find an audience in America. So that's a, a notable thing. Golden Harvest is one of the producers. You know, They pr helped produce this movie and funded it. So you think they would have a little more control over how Jackie was presented in it. 
Um, in the first film, Chan and Michael Way, Golden Harvest comic sensation, play a pair of Japanese car drivers who enter the competition. The purpose of the film was to showcase as many stars as possible, such as Burt Reynolds, Farrah Fawcett, and Dean Martin, and let off a series of sight gags and jokes within a loose structure. Needham had heard of Chan, but knew nothing of what he could really do, and with such an orgy of stars, Chan and Wei needed to do more than just make their presence known. After seeing Chan demonstrate his agility for the first time, Needham agreed to let him pretty much run the fight the way he wanted, almost the way he wanted. Chan couldn't convince Needham to let him have a month-long shoot. In his fight, Chan has a couple of moments, most notably with motorcycle gang member Peter Fonda. Without the time to detail the fight choreography, however, Chan comes off as just being another guy who can throw a kick. Nevertheless, Chan meshed well with the Hollywood stars. In a documentary on Cannonball Run, Burt Reynolds commented, I think he's one picture away from being a legend like Bruce Lee was. A dialogue coach would go over every line with Chan since his English-speaking ability was still lacking. Most of my actors would spend their time in their trailers if they weren't in a scene, recalls Needham, but Jackie would be hanging around the set trying to learn everything he could about how we do things in America. It's kind of a weird thing about him having someone helping him with his English because I don't think he has any English lines in the entire movie. Do you remember any, Liam? No. Yeah, it's uh, it's real weird. I guess they, they, they squeeze in a couple words here and there. Yeah. I, I guess. We're going to talk about it, but it's so... I mean, you can tell he had a miserable time, but the odd thing, of course, is that this movie was a massive financial success, not in not in China, but in uh, in the United States and in Japan, but really in the United States. It was one of the top-grossing movies of the entire year, and I would imagine for a huge number of Americans, this was their introduction to Jackie Chan, right? I, I would imagine almost everyone who encountered him, you know, who didn't see things like you know, in uh, small runs of, of Drunken Master and things like that. This was still been so early in the VHS age that a lot of people wouldn't have been able to catch up on those. So this was probably most people's introduction to Jackie Chan. What do you think their thoughts would be about him, Liam, having only been introduced through the Cannonball run? I mean, I'm sure they wouldn't necessarily remember him. I, I guess, to well, we're going to get into it. But to be fair, there is one moment that maybe they would remember but I think only because in in this time period, uh, it there wasn't a lot of actually good fighting happening in Hollywood movies, right? That's right. There mm -hmm. was still a martial arts film scene, but those movies were less present in the American psyche compared to, say, 73. So folks in 81 are still talking about Bruce Lee and not thinking about all the movies that have come out since then. So I'm sure... They might have noticed him a little bit, but you know, this is a fight scene where Dom DeLuise is kicking ass, so it's not yeah. really like mm -hmm. that much about the quality of the fighting per se. It's also, and I mean, not to jump ahead, like you're right, it's a very old style of fight choreography because even someone like Chuck Norris was only just getting big in the early 80s. Um, so even that kind of style, which was isn't that far removed from the old school Hollywood stuff. You know, it's all punches that miss by a mile and people doing exaggerated responses to it. The way that the quote-unquote martial arts is shot in this is not like we've seen, in, even in the big brawl, but like certainly not in the Hong Kong movies that we've covered so far. It, It's like, what would you do? And this is, I think, one of the difficulties with when Jackie Chan made his later transition to Hollywood movies. How do you handle that when the culture is so different? I mean, the culture of movie making is so different, and this might be the farthest removed we've seen so far from the kind of movies he was making in Hong Kong, especially when it comes to the action. I think his vibe is all about investment. You know, like even the movies he's done that we haven't loved, if he was at all given any sort of authority, there was time spent, as much time mm. as he could get away with. This movie is very much like, I don't know, we show up, we have some drinks, we say some shit, whatever. Like, it's a hangout movie, and I think... Yeah. That's part of the appeal to people, I assume, 
uh, other than obviously the uh, head trauma that allowed them to enjoy this movie, um, is that <laughs> they imagine all the actors are just hanging out and maybe they could just hang out too. And like, if you found out that they rehearsed any of these lines, you would be dis- disappointed because you're like, wait, what? Because it really feels like there probably wasn't a script or anything. Like they're just doing shit. And, uh, and so that's not Jackie Chan's world. It certainly doesn't give him an opportunity to do anything that might be memorable. People aren't going to remember him. I mean, people might remember that he tries to watch a porno in the car, you know, <laughs> like they might go like, oh yeah, beyond the green door. Sure. I remember that. One. <laughs> but that's it. Like there's not much else to remember. Well, we'll get to that. We're, we're jumping the gun here, Doug. A little yeah. Bit. Jumping but, you're, but what your point is still really well made, which is that this is a very loose movie. That The whole idea of it is that everyone is very loose, relaxed, probably slightly buzzed and Jackie Chan doesn't make loose movies right they're all tightly controlled even if they're movies where like they're working out a lot of the stuff on set the fact is the final version that you see is very tightly controlled because it's been pieced together a lot of the times right this is not a movie like that this is a movie that you're just supposed to chill out with and it's hard to chill out when you have some of these characters Liam and let's talk about the entire movie after this break we're gonna be back really soon with the cannonball run this is the story of an average guy and a beautiful girl. Hi. Don't tell me your name. I'll just call you Beauty. You must be a sensitive person. I bet you're a fan of Rod McEwen's. I try to be. And his best friend. I am Captain Chaos. Been a cop long? And a family doctor. Leash. Come on right here. And how they all set out one day in an ambulance from New York to California at 150 miles per hour. California, here we come! But they aren't the only ones. Because this is the Cannonball Run. America's illegal Grand Prix. And it doesn't matter how you get there. It's who gets there first. Burt Reynolds is the defending champion. On his team, Farrah Fawcett. Are you one of those volleyballers? Cannonballers. Dom DeLuise and Jack Elam. And here comes the competition. Will you hurry up, you little... Dean Martin. We happen to be in a race. Sammy Davis Jr. You, shorty. Where'd you get all that jewelry? Take a layup. Layup. Mel Tillis and Terry Bradshaw. <laughs> Jackie Chan. <laughs> and Roger Moore as himself. I'm Roger Moore. A wide variety of eccentric competitors participate in a wild and illegal cross-country road race. However, the eccentric entrants will do anything to win the road race, including low-down, dirty tricks. Is 1981's The Cannonball Run, directed by Hal Needham. This is what Jackie Chan has to say about it in his uh, summary of the film at the end of his book, I Am Jackie Chan. A silly movie about a wild cross-country race featuring a huge cast of American celebrities, plus me and Michael Huey, one of Hong Kong's top comedians. It's based on the real Cannonball Sea to Shining Sea race, which starts in Connecticut and ends in California. Michael and I play bumbling Japanese race car drivers with a gizmo-filled supercar. It isn't exactly a film that shows off my best skills, but the guys at Golden Harvest felt that putting me in a small role in the film would help to introduce me to the American public. And it was a hit. Cannonball Run made $100 million worldwide, though it bombed in Hong Kong. One thing I did pick up from this film, the use of bloopers and outtakes under the final credits, which I've done in all of my movies since. Of course, my no-goods are very different from Burt Reynolds' no-goods. Uh, it was released in the U.S. on June 19, 1981, and in Hong Kong on August 27, 1981. 
yeah, it's based on the real Cannonball Baker Sea to Shining Sea race. For those who don't have uh, any knowledge about that, we, Liam, have actually talked about that race previously when we covered Paul Bartel's uh, movie Cannonball on our Bartel Me Something Good uh, podcast, so people can check that out. But yeah, a real race uh, where people race real odd sometimes vehicles across the country and uh, unlike that movie cannibal a lot of the people who were involved with that race were in some way involved in this film including uh brock y- brock yates the writer of the cannonball run was an american journalist for car and driver magazine and he was the co-conceiver of that cannonball baker sea to shining sea race and raced in it several times not only that the director of this hal needham he actually in 1979 participated in the race, racing in the ambulance that like the same, the exact same ambulance that they use for this film. So this movie is, Liam, believe it or not, somewhat based on a true story. Uh, Hal Needham, a very well-known director, specifically for his work with Burt Reynolds and a lot of like car-based, stunt-based movies. He directed Smoking the Bandit, Hooper, Stroker Ace. Um, and then later in life, he became more focused on getting like land speed records. So obviously a guy who is a bit of an adrenaline junkie. And we'll talk about the car work in this. But what people know the Cannonball Run for mostly is its star-filled, star-studded cast. Uh, this is a movie, I think it's probably the biggest influence on this and a lot of the Cannonball-type movies was It's a Mad, 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 Mad World. The idea of a cross-country, you know, uh, excursion with a bunch of different celebrities in small parts. This movie stars Bo- Burt Reynolds and Dom DeLuise, Roger Moore, Farrah Fawcett, Dean Martin, and Sammy Davis Jr., Jackie Chan and Michael Way, of course, uh, Jamie Farr as the wonderfully named Sheik Abdul Ben Falafel. Well, I'm sure we'll talk about him. Uh, Mel Tillis, Terry Bradshaw, Adrian Barbeau. I mean, Peter Fonda, lots of familiar faces all throughout the cast, Liam. Uh, but... We'll get into the details of what we liked and don't like in, in more in more kind of uh, um, more elaboration on those. But before we get to that, what did you think of the Cannonball Run? And Liam, did you have any nostalgia for this movie generally? Had you seen it previously? This is the first time that I watched the whole movie, though I've seen parts of it. Um, it has always been burned into my memory as part of my hatred for Dom DeLuise. <laughs> uh, and honestly, it was one of the reasons... I avoided watching Smokey and the Bandit for so long because when people would bring up Burt Reynolds, I'm like, that mustachioed dickhead who is with Dom DeLuise and shit? Like, I just didn't know anything about him. And then I Even finally, association with Dom DeLuise was enough for you to hate somebody. Yeah, why the fuck would I want to see this guy? He's he's like, he's the straight man to the least funny man ever. Why would I care about this dude? And then I saw Smokey and the Bandit, and I know pe- some people don't like that movie. I fucking loved it and I, that made me more interested in checking him out though i do think there are far more bad burt reynolds movies than good when it's good i actually like burt reynolds which makes my frustration having finally sat down to watch this movie that much more because burt reynolds joins a whole cast of characters who i either know or recognize from other things that are just annoying in this movie there is yeah. No fucking charm in any element of this movie. And it saddens me that Jackie Chan had to be brought into this thing, not just because the movie's bad, but like to be a ridiculous sort of racist stereotype. Like not only just because he's playing Japanese, right? But then the little racist intro music they use for them is not Japanese, right? They're just playing this weird little Chinese chopsticks thing as like yep. an introduction. And then the, all the stereotypes like, well, they have technology and they talk funny and they do stupid stuff. And then he gets what? Like a minute and a half to fight. And we'll talk more in depth about the fight. <laughs> I got to say, 
it is kind of cool parts of the fight. He does a couple things that are cool. And the only part of the movie where I don't hate Dom DeLuise is him jumping through the wall of a cabin. Like, I was like, okay, that's kind of fun, actually. Like, this fight, though it's stupid, is kind of like one of the few parts that's kind of joyful. Uh, but overall, this is a torture movie. I don't know why this has so much affection from people. Like, none of the jokes are funny. Oh, I mean, here's, here's what it boils down to. Overall, I don't think it's very funny. You know, and I don't find it very charming. Also, I find the goofiness and normalization of drunk driving is just not my thing. Uh Like, I get that it's just supposed to be silly. I don't find it silly. You know, I am a massive fan of uh, of oi music, Doug. But the business song Drinking and Driving is a crime against humanity and they should be beaten up for having written it, even though I love that band. You know, drinking and driving is shitty. And if you do it, you suck. It's not like a, a weird mistake that everybody makes or something. And it's certainly not fucking funny. So, like, that's a bummer in and of itself. Then you've got the you know the racist use of of our the our reason for being here today. Also, lots of jokes about uh, kidnapping and 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 rape is just like a silly thing that might happen. Uh, and finally, just this whole idea that like I I just I get the idea that this whole cannonball thing kind of grabbed the imagination of America, right? Mm-hmm. But while I do like the idea of like doing something illegal and saying fuck it uh this thing seems kind of like a douchebaggy thing at least if this is at all a representation of it in any way (laughs) the whole thing feels very douchey and not like actually cool at all so i don't know there's just nothing here for me to be particularly excited about and that makes me kind of sad because i i wanted to at least appreciate the silliness of this thing while i knew i wasn't going to think it was a great movie you know I agree with most of what you say, and I did not like this movie. I did not enjoy it whatsoever for a lot of the reasons that you said. I will say, I still I still think that the concept is something that could be good, right? I mean, you know, um, uh, that movie Rat Race from the late 90s, or maybe it's yeah. early 2000s. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like, I, I, it's been a long time since I saw that, but I know a lot of people have affection for that movie as well, though they have it for this one, so maybe we just can't trust people. But like the idea of this cross-country thing, every, all these like famous people doing their little comedy sketches as they go on, this wacky racers type thing, I think that that has the ability to be really amusing, and it's fun to kind of look back on to see what kind of famous faces are in it, which is basically the only enjoyment you get out of this movie. But... This movie is is bad. Like, it's bad in a way that's kind of odd. I expected there to be tons of really cool car stunts in it, but there aren't. There's There are some cars going fast. There's a, you know, a neat Lambert. There's, there's neat, like, looking cars all throughout it. Sure. But, like, the stunts aren't very good. They're not very no. memorable. And there's, like, uh, one jump. There's one yeah. jump in the whole fucking movie. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, it's it was really disappointing on that front. And it's, look, I know it. Humor is subjective. But outside of a array of horrible stereotypes and treating women like sex objects, there just isn't much here in terms of the humor. And it's all extremely disconnected because most of the people were shot separately for their parts. Um, to, to me, Doug, it, the part of what this movie did was remind me that the phrase, the enemy of my enemy is my friend, is not fucking true. Because uh, 
while I do want to ally with many people who see the police as their enemy, there is a group of uh, of drunken ne'er do wells who are mostly racist and hate environmentalists that I don't want to yeah. ally with. I mean, the evil, the bad guy in this movie, though he is uptight. I like that he's uptight. Fuck yeah. uptight people. But also, he's in a, like the movie's whole vibe is like cool beer drinking swingers hate the environment and want to burn gas until we all die in a fire yeah, hell. Yeah, you know? absolutely. That, that's like part of the point of the movie. And like their fuck everything attitude is like it's taking all the freedom of counterculture and removing all the politics. So all all that being cool is about is hating your body, hating women, hating people who are different than you, and not letting anyone tell you what to do. Okay, well, I kind of like the the rebellion part of it a little bit, but the reality is they've taken rebellion and made it all about selfishness. This is about a bunch of people who are like... Yeah, it's a libertarian movie. 100% yeah, it one is. And, yeah. and, and that fucking... It just... It's not fun, Doug. And that is the bummer for me because... Well, let's compare it to another movie that I didn't love that's about the same thing, right? We talked about... Can It's just called Cannonball, right? Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I didn't love that movie, but... Just in having a few differences, that movie is way less torturous than this movie. Partly because that movie knows that it's, or at least my memory of it is that it's not trying to be the funniest shit in the world, and it focuses a little bit more on like car shit and explosions. You know? Yeah. This movie's like fuck car stuff. Look how funny these people are, and I'm like, it's not that fucking funny. What are we doing? It's bizarre that Paul Bartel was able to shoot action better than Hal Needham, whose whole one hundred percent his whole life was based around action. I mean, I I am convinced, weirdly, because it's only two movies, but just based on those two movies, that uh, 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 Paul Bartel is a much more accomplished action director than Hal Needham. You know? <laughs> and Paul Bartel, how you know, in interviews, he had zero interest in the whole car thing. He was kind of forced into it, and I mean, it just—I don't know. I, I, there could be limitations, and of course, one thing we'll talk about just briefly is that there was a pretty serious injury to one of the stunt drivers on this, uh, and it it did change. The way that stunt drivers were uh, were treated in Hollywood because of how negligent they were in regards to the stunts on this film. So it's it's maybe that restricted some things, but probably in a good way. But I'm like you. I'm like, why should I? I think the idea of the real life thing, where it seems like they don't take like the actual race that seriously. It's all about you know getting a souped up car, driving as fast as you can, but not necessarily you know getting in accidents or, or causing harm to other people. Um, that that there's, I think that that's kind of a fun, cool idea sure. that you can build a fun movie around. They just haven't. They made Cannonball and the Gumball Rally and Cannonball Run one and two, and the movie Speed Zone, which is unofficially Cannonball three. And every one of those movies are not very good. And it's weird that that concept has not turned into at least a great stunt movie. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's just odd. I mean, yeah, me. don't get me wrong. The sense of adventure I kind of get. Like I I had friends who used to work at the airport and they would just get plane tickets to two different parts of the world and see how long it would take them to get from one place to another. And oftentimes because they weren't millionaires and they weren't in a movie and life is more serious, they'd give up and have to switch their ticket and fly home early because it really wasn't as easy as they thought it would be like they were in a fucking movie, but they tried it. It was something they could do. And as long as it it wasn't going to cost them too much money, they would try to do shit like that. I love that. I love that sense of adventure. Yeah, the amazing race type stuff, right? Yeah, yeah, totally. That's that's amazing. But this seems so much, at least the representation in these movies and especially this movie is so much more like who gives a fuck I do whatever I want and they think that's charming in and of itself and and my thing with the, what you were saying I agree like 
maybe the action was affected by these concerns about safety, which I appreciate. Only there's been great action since then. So obviously yeah. you can do action even if you're worried about safety. Also, the stuntmen and their safety had nothing to do with this shitty script. Yeah. And that was that, that's my major concern is that I might ignore how not funny this movie is for enough cool car shit, but I would also ignore the lack of cool car shit if the fact that this movie's trying to be funny meant it was funny. Then I would love it. I would love the kind of screw I keep saying screwball comedy, which is a term that is not right. <laughs> I would love this kind of goofy comedy if I thought the jokes landed in it. But for the most part, they don't land in this movie. I wouldn't say absolutely, but for the most part, this movie is not fun funny at all. Did any of these characters, again, almost all played by famous people, at least famous of the time, did any of them jump out in a positive way to you? Did you like any of the racers in this movie? <sighs> I mean, it's hard for me to say anything bad about Adrian Barbeau and sure. whoever was with her. Tara Buckman I, is the other actress. I think the joke that they're playing out of like, we'll just show our boobs and then we'll never get a ticket is gets it's too they, they use it too much. It's just not that funny. But I like them. And so it's hard for me to say like, oh, they're terrible. But they weren't. If there was any other thing they did other than zip down their jumpsuits, then maybe I would say, yeah, they were great, but they don't. They're not used for anything else, and that's that's kind of a bummer. They're, they're probably the most appealing characters because characters, they seem to be the only ones who don't find uh, Burt Reynolds to be incredibly charming and handsome. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's fair. That's actually a really good point. Um I found Dean Martin and Sammy Davis Jr.'s character to be their characters to be so irritating. Yep. And Dean Martin, I cannot believe he lived for like another thirteen years. He looks like he is on death's door in this fucking movie. It was really like the the vibe seems to be just let them cook and they got yeah. it figured out and they do not have it figured out. They are not funny at all, and they give opportunity for Burt Reynolds to finally do something racist in the movie that has nothing to do with Asian folks. You know what I mean? Like, he gets to make the joke that he doesn't understand that a black person could be a priest. He's like, oh, that, that priest is black. Like, that's evidence he's They're allowing those now. They're allowed now. What the fuck is <laughs> happening? It's it's insane, Doug. That part is, like, utterly insane to me. Um, let me think. There was the two guys where the joke is that they're big guys and they're in a van. Yes. And their van explodes, and it's the only cool stunt in the whole fucking movie is when their van explodes. Uh, although I will say that part looked almost too real. Like, it looked like the people <laughs> in that scene were a little bit like, oh, fuck, that really exploded. <laughs> so maybe that was bad. Maybe that was not a good scene. Uh, but at least it was an actual explosion. So I kind of say that's appealing to some extent. And there's a guy, there's a there's two people in a truck where I think the joke is that the one guy is from New York. He keeps saying something yeah, about New York. Yeah, 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 yeah. I guess that was okay. Like I recognize Mad Dog and Batman. Those are those characters. I recognize him from something else. And I well, he was most recognizable from the movie Ghost. But I always think of him from um, Gremlins Two. He's the guy who's like whistling this song. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, that that distracted me for a little bit because I couldn't remember why I recognized him. So I guess that's cool. <laughs> you have a device in your pocket that you can find out exactly. I'm not trying to look at my phone, <laughs> Doug. If I pull the phone out during Cannonball Run, I'm not going to watch Cannonball Run. <laughs> Because anything on my phone is more interesting than this fucking movie. So the phone has to be hidden away for me to pay full attention to Cannonball Run. I will say, I think Jackie Lim is pretty funny as the doctor, Nicholas Von Helsing, the guy who's like... Uh, yeah, he's I funny. Mean, but he's just like being a total goofball, silly shit, right? And that's... Yeah. That still makes him funnier than everybody else in this movie. Liam, 
Dom DeLuise's character in this movie uh-huh. is Burt Reynolds' sidekick. Don't know why they're buddies in it. You get a sense that they have this long history together. Maybe he's the mechanic for them or something. And they've been doing this a lot. But you don't really get a direct sense of their history. But they're they're good friends, even though all Burt Reynolds does is demean him and, and make fun of him the whole movie. But the thing about this character is that he has an alter ego. He has a mental issue where he sometimes turns into a superhero called Captain Chaos. And he puts on a cape and a mask. And he just beats up people, or I guess he can drive really fast when he's in that mode. It's like a mental state that he gets into. Talk about this character that Dom DeLuise plays in this movie. Uh-huh. It is um it is this infantile thing where it's supposed to be funny <laughs> that he's getting made fun of. Uh he he screws up a lot i here's part of the thing doug and tell me if i'm wrong on this i feel like the character he's playing is part of a tradition that's still around now of like the sidekick who just fucks everything up and goes oh gosh oh no i mean it's the abbott and costello thing right i mean that's definitely what he's playing yeah yeah costello were funny sometimes they also both had like they would they would banter back and forth and the banter would be clever there's no banter. banter here is not there's no fucking banter no there's no banter it's a lot of the movies about how both him and Burt Reynolds are very horny, but of yes. course only Burt Reynolds will get ladies because Dom DeLuise is a large man, and that's supposed yeah. to be funny that he's also a large I, man. he's sort of he's semi effeminate. Do you know what I mean in the way that yes, he's presented in the movie? Yes, right. He's almost yes. considered kind of sexless while being horny at the same time. Yep, uh, they both have mustaches, which I think is supposed to be funny. Um, <laughs> and he wears a hat. I think that's supposed to be funny. The hat's supposed to be funny. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, yeah, sometimes he pulls a cape and a mask out of his pocket and he runs around. And he's Captain Chaos. And when he's Captain Chaos, he can apparently beat up everyone in yeah. like a whole army of bikers. Yeah, he, and yeah. he can make an ambulance drive faster than it's capable of driving. <laughs> and then, that thing in movies is generally it's like, why don't you go faster? And it's like, uh, and it's like, why don't you go faster? And it's he's like, I'm going as fast as I can. Well, that's it. That's as fast as you can go. You can't go faster. <laughs> the pedal is to the metal. So I don't really understand how he ended up going so much faster. But I mean, it's that's, a movie. this is not a real movie, Doug. This is not like there's no reality here. Uh, and then at the end, he becomes what it's not Captain America. It's like Captain USA. It's Captain USA, though. I think yeah. maybe he said Captain America. Okay, let, let, let us talk about that then. We'll talk about the ending in just a second, but... The movie ends with uh, them, like, because he gets distracted just as he's about to win the race. This is Don DeLuise's character. He gets distracted by a woman who says that her, basically, they think her child has fallen into water, but it ends up being a dog, which is, you know, he rescues it, and then he doesn't win the race, and then everyone's really pissed at him, and Burt Reynolds tears off his his Captain uh, Captain Chaos Chaos. uh, uniform. And then he pops up again, and he's wearing an American-themed superhero outfit, and he's like, I'm Captain USA! And everyone thinks it's the funniest fucking thing that they've ever seen in their life, and then the movie just ends. And Liam, who won this race? Who won the race at the end of the Cannonball Run? Uh, Adrian Barbeau, right? Did she? Oh, I don't know. Who won the race? I don't think anyone won the fucking race. I thought, no, I think the idea is that she won. Well, she was in second place, and then he gets distracted. But you never see her actually put. The well, no, thing no, no. In. Actually, let me make a bigger, a better, bigger point for you, Doug. The whole ending doesn't make sense because you win based upon your total time. So when they're all running to the thing, yeah, that doesn't make sense because their times are different. <laughs> the whole point is that it's 
from the time you punch your card to the time you punch your card on the other end. So if someone gets there before you, but they left before you, it doesn't matter. Yeah, right? of course. Of course. But they're all running to the end. Like, it's whoever gets there first. That doesn't make any sense. It made me – that whole ending, it's literally like they just gave up. And they're like, well, let's just do this gag at the end. And I'm sure someone said, well, that doesn't make sense. They're like, who fucking cares? None of this makes sense. Like, the number of times they hit I, – I mean, I get that this is back in the day where there were slightly less rounds. But the number of times where they hit a roadblock and they're like, this is the one road you could take. Yeah, so this right. roadblock is going to catch all the kids. There's no one road. Like, where are they supposed to be where it's like just this one two-lane road is the only option through all of America? It's not like they're driving from San Francisco to L.A. They're driving from, I think, New York or something to uh, uh, Los Angeles. Yeah, There's a few fucking roads you could take. There's actually a bunch of fucking But no, roads. they all go the same way, and they're like neck and neck somehow the entire time. It's psychotic, Doug. You are right. According to the Wikipedia summary, it says, Just when it appears, Victor will reach the time clock first. A spectator shouts that her baby has fallen into the water. Victor, still in his Captain Chaos persona, rushes to save the baby, later revealed to be the spectator's dog, allowing Marcy to clock in first and win the race. JJ is furious and never wants to see Captain Chaos again, but Victor replies that he does not care, becoming the persona he really wants to be. Captain USA, JJ laughs and hugs him for some fucking reason. And then then even the villain of the piece, the the guy who quite rightly wants them to stop the race, he does not even get his comeuppance. Instead, fucking uh, uh, James Bond over there, Roger Moore is trying to eject him out of his car, but accidentally ejects himself. And that's the end of the movie. <laughs> the bad guy doesn't get his comeuppance. No one cares who won the race. And this stupid Dom DeLuise joke about Captain USA, they all think it's so funny. Why have, Why do they enjoy that? To the point where in the closing credits when they're showing the outtakes, they show him do it again, and everyone is, like, loving it. They cannot believe how fucking funny this guy in his stupid costume is. Liam, do I just not have a sense of humor? I mean, maybe you're just, like, not on enough quaaludes. Maybe. <laughs> Yeah, this is this cocaine hadn't become so popular at that point, so it probably was. It yeah. was just tons of beer and quaaludes. I mean, I'm sure there's there is some coke there too, but like it's not quite high coke levels yet in '81. I don't. Maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. I'm not a drug historian, but the point is this: <laughs> everyone is high. Plus, everyone. I mean, it, it, Dom DeLuise's career seems to be that all of America is amused that they've let this large man who talks funny become famous. And so then he just shows up and he's like, I'm Dom DeLuise, I'm big and I talk funny. And everyone's like, Ed, you're, Ed, you're famous? Oh my God, that's hilarious. You're a famous person. They let you become famous. And that's the I, whole joke. He doesn't make any jokes. I don't I understand. Do part of it is, this is a silly guy, right? This guy can be silly and he does not, he's not interested in seeming, you know, in this very testosterone filled movie. He's not interested in seeing, seeming like a manly man. He's this guy who just is silly and goofy and non-threatening and that is enough. It doesn't have to be funny. He can just be silly and that just doesn't do it for me personally. I just want him to have some jokes because... If there aren't any jokes, then what is the source of the humor? He has a mask on. Like, I it's just I'm just confused. And granted, I'm sure there are people listening to this who want to fucking murder us right now because they love this shit so much. And they're like, how dare you disrespect Dom DeLuise? He's a fucking comedy genius. But I just don't understand what it is that I'm supposed to be laughing. Maybe at. we just haven't hit the movie where he is so good on. So listeners, if you are 
a big Dom DeLuise head. And there's, I mean, I've seen him in like the Mel Brooks movies and stuff like that. But if there's a movie that we haven't seen where he is like particularly showing off his skills, because I mean, it could be the writing here, right? We know that the rest of the oh, movie yeah, is sure, sure, so sure. badly, right? And we've seen him in the, what, The World's Greatest Lover, which that movie wasn't written very well either. So maybe, you know, maybe it's just the movie. Uh, and if he's good in something else, why don't you let us know and, and, and we will check it out in That's time. That's fair. I don't want this to be a, 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 a final word on his whole career, even though I've never seen him do anything where I was like impressed by him per se. I don't, but, but the, all I'm saying is when it comes to this movie, I'm not sure that there are any jokes in the script. It's like, maybe he's just so well loved. He just has to show up and be dumb, which, you know. Maybe maybe there are people like that now, and I just don't notice because I'm in the moment. So I don't realize, like, oh, later, people aren't going to think this person's funny. I just think they're funny because I love them as a personality. I, I don't know. And Burt Reynolds obviously loved the fucking guy. And, you know, they, they, they do have chemistry together. They obviously legit – mostly it's because it seems like they're just making up shit as they're going along. You know, I mean, when Jackie in his book said that – talked about actors getting $5 million – that was Burt Reynolds in this movie. He got paid $5 million, the highest amount that an actor had ever gotten for a single movie at that time. Um, and he was not happy about it afterwards. Like He, he felt kind of like he sold out, but uh, he wanted to help his friend Hal Needham make this movie. And uh, he barely like he barely had to do anything, right? He's just sitting there for most of it, smirking his way through the movie. Pretty good gig. Yeah, I mean, I, it seems like if you were in this movie, it had to be fun, right? I mean, yeah. obviously not for the poor stunt people who are treated so poorly but for the actors you know they're they're just hanging out it seems like i don't, I don't know so let's talk about the action in the movie starting with the single fight scene that takes place uh almost near the end of the movie where a big biker gang led by uh peter fonda shows up uh, as you mentioned already captain chaos he gets into it with a bunch of the bikers a lot of people get in fist fights with the various bikers including jackie chan what did you think of the jackie chan fight scene in this I mean, that's fine. He's not given the opportunity to really show himself off because these stunt people are, are just not used to this kind of fighting, you know? Sure. So a lot of his stuff, you can tell he's nowhere near them. Like, there's visible space between his foot and their faces, you know? Yeah. And while he does get to do a couple of showy things, he's at, being asked to do a solo fight on sand without a lot of preparation. So... It's not nearly the visual feast that we usually get from his choreography, but it stands out in this movie because everyone else who's kicking ass is just like hitting a guy in the face and that's yeah. it, you know? Mm -hmm. So it's still, for what it is, pretty cool, and some of it is kind of funny, you know? So he, he does what he can, but certainly it doesn't compare to even some of the performances that we haven't loved. He's gotten to do a little bit more of his thing than in this movie. At least they do give him an opportunity to look like a bit of a badass at one point in the movie. Because if that movie, sorry, if that sequence wasn't in the movie, all he would get to do is get horny watching a porno in the car as he's supposed to be driving. I'm not even sure why they want to win the race. I don't understand like their motivation outside of let's show off Japanese technology. Well, also, they can't win the race, remember, because they forget to clock out when oh, they leave. Yes. Or clock in, rather. Yeah. <laughs> so what are they even doing in this movie? I think that's supposed to be one of the funniest parts, is that they didn't even do the first thing right. Because they're not, <laughs> Doug, they're not very smart. I don't know if you know this. They're foreigners, Liam. They don't know what yeah. the hell's going on. They didn't right? even understand the language. And they're not even one of the rich foreigners who are called racist things by the police officers in this movie. Oh, my. It, everything about it is so fucked. Liam, were there any memorable car stunts in this movie? 
I mean, you know, a car blows up. I guess that's cool. Uh-huh. And there's a jump over a train. But at yes. this point, by 81, I mean, you're seeing a jump over a train like every week on TV at this point, right? Like sure. car stunts were such a part of the culture that I, I, I don't know. There's nothing in here that I was like, holy shit at all. Like nothing happened like that. But there are one or two things that were like, fine, you know. I think we already said it. You know, I think there were more memorable car stunts in Paul Bartel's movie than there was here. And that's that's odd. It just doesn't make any sense. You, you think that's what this movie would mostly be about? I mean, we did mention that there was an incident that happened on the set where a German-American stunt woman named Heidi Von Belts ended up getting in a car crash. Um, she had to do a stunt that she was not prepared to do and ended up actually uh, leaving her quadriplegic. And it led to a lawsuit, which she ended up winning many years later. Um, and it did change the way that the stunt performers were treated in Hollywood generally. But but Jesus, right? I mean, for this movie, not that there's any movie where it's worth getting injured for, but it's just like like this movie where no one seems to be taking things so seriously, all the more tragedy to have someone injured like this. Well, and I think it's important to point out that both before this and after this, people are able to do very impressive stunts that are far more... Res- I mean, this is not just, oh, it was dangerous and they took a risk. You know, the, the car didn't have fucking seatbelts. The yeah. tires were... Ball- Again, he, this wasn't a jump stunt. They're weaving in and out. How are you going to weave in a fucking old-ass Aston Martin without good tires? You know yeah, what I mean? Like, exactly, right. The, the reality is this was negligence. And so it's important to say that to me because if I'm judging a movie for not having impressive studs and it turns out, well, we tried, but someone got hurt, then it it kind of puts me in a place where like, oh, man, I feel like a dickhead here, you know, yeah, whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the reality is this was not a huge stunt. This was a minor stunt that became uh, a tragedy because of negligence. Negligence in a movie where it really wouldn't have cost that much money. You know what I mean? It's not like this was – sometimes you hear about some of the crazy things that have happened on sets – Throughout the world, where you know these are people living on the edge. There's not. A lot I mean, of we're talking. This around. is a Jackie Chan podcast. I mean, yeah, who exactly. else better exemplifies people getting injured on set than Jackie Chan? But I mean, you know, putting someone else in danger is very different than putting yourself in danger. Not that either is okay, and we certainly are never going to. Even though part of Jackie Chan's reputation has come from that, I mean, I bet he really uh, uh, regrets having gone through a lot of that shit at this point in his life. Yeah, one hundred percent. And and the reality is, even the th- times he's gotten hurt. The vibe I get is that he has often tried to minimize some of that. You know, this is not no to me. No effort is being made when you don't even have seatbelts in the car, and there's a person with a smoke machine who doesn't even need to be in the car. They're just there to make it look cooler. Yeah, that's negligence, man. Like that's what it boils down to. And so, my frustration, I would be mad at any movie where this level of disregard was happening. But considering how this whole movie feels like bullshit to me. It just feels like yet another place where no one cared enough to do the right thing, you know, including the shitty script, but also this stunt, you know? So Jackie, obviously from his, uh, from his books did not enjoy making this movie, even though he was contractually obligated to come back for the sequel, which he is in, which we'll talk about eventually. But being in this movie did inspire two important things. One of them was the uh, winners and sinners movie, uh, and I think I, maybe the some other movies in Hong Kong that were based on the same idea, kind of like all-star Hong Kong action comedies, uh, which we'll talk about going forward. But also, maybe most notably, the use of bloopers and outtakes in the closing credits. What did you think about the outtakes in the closing credits of this movie? 
They're fine. I mean, the problem for me is by the time we're getting these blooper things at the end, I'm so not into the movie that I can't right, take joy. Out. Yeah, yeah, I, I just don't care, really. You know, so, you know, the bloopers at the end of other movies, whether they're comedies or they're stunt stuff from a Jackie Chan movie, you're 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 on the movie side. You know, you're invested. So it's like you care about them. They're, it's fun because you already care about the movie. For something like this, it's like, I don't care, whatever. You know, unless it's like, oh, man, Burt Reynolds kind of caught fire for a second or something. Like, that might be cool, I guess. <laughs> the, when I watch, like, blooper compilations on YouTube from movies sometimes, even for movies that I don't like, I sometimes really enjoy them. Because you see the people relax and have fun. And, you know, everyone's, you know, it, it, it's someone is trying a line and they can't get it. And it makes them very human in ways that I think are really interesting. This like the the outtakes of this movie were so huge that it not only did it influence Jackie Chan. Really, every time that a movie ends with outtakes afterwards, it's in some way referring back to the Cannonball Run. The weird thing about it is you watch these outtakes and they're so benign, right? It's just it's like oh, I can't stop laughing at Dom DeLuise and his stupid face, even just like frustrating everyone else around them. <laughs> but like the way that it ends. With everyone laughing at the Captain USA guy and then the director coming out, it's like, we're having such a great time making this movie. All I could think about was exactly what you were said earlier. It's like, being on the set, if you weren't Jackie Chan, sounds like it would be a lot of fun. But Jesus Christ, it doesn't make for a very funny movie. No, not at all. Let's finish up, Liam, by talking about Jackie Chan's perform performance as... Quote unquote, Subaru driver number one. I think he is given the name Jackie Chan in his introduction, uh, which of course is all the more confusing since he's surrounded by like Japanese geisha women with Japanese music, with Chinese actors around. I mean, it is just, uh, obviously, as he said, it, it's just like uh, Sammy Davis Jr. They did not understand what the hell they were doing. What did you think of his performance? I mean, that's a hard thing to say, right? He's basically saying just, just, yammering nonsense not even speaking chinese right i mean he's or mandarin or cantonese i think a lot of it is supposed to be just like gibberish uh certainly not speaking japanese what do you think is performance in this movie i mean other than the fight scene it's all an embarrassment like the, yeah. he's just not asked to do anything cool or memorable other than you know this humor that doesn't really work uh i mean i do like the idea that uh because his career has been so much about him not doing lascivious things, the fact that one of the only memorable That's... gags is him trying to watch Beyond the Green Door in a car while he's driving, <laughs> that kind of made me giggle a little bit. Not because the joke is funny, but just because it's him, it's kind of funny. You know, like, oh, Jackie, come on. Uh, but overall, yeah, I mean, it's hard to say it's a great performance because he's not doing much. And the one time he's given to shine it's there's not much to it. You know, I really nice. wish if that fight was just a little bit longer and had a little bit more of him in it, then maybe I could even see why this was worth doing because it was a huge movie. Sure, and a lot of people right. did see it, but I just don't think there was enough of him to stand out to justify his presence in the movie, you know. I'm still confused why Golden Harvest would allow this character. I mean, there's no reason that this character couldn't be Chinese, right? Outside of the idea that the whole thing in the 80s was that the Japanese had this great technology and like that the, their whole idea was that they were very technology focused. I guess that joke would go away. But well, like, why would Golden Harvest allow one of their biggest stars to be so compromised in this? It just doesn't make sense. I mean, if they had told me that there was an alternate cut of this movie for like even Chinese and Japanese audiences where his character was now Chinese and that they 
they somehow fixed it to make it so he was more of a presence. That would make sense to me, but that apparently is not the case. This is just a really confusing movie and also confusing that, of course, he has to return for the sequel where he is paired with Richard Keel. Liam, do you know who Richard Keel is? No. Richard Keel played Jaws in the James Bond movies, and you might know him as Ega, the uh, the caveman. Oh the yes, 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 yes. Yeah, you know, you certainly know his face. His his deal is that he was very, very tall and kind of odd looking, and that it will be the joke for the sequel. Little Jackie Chan with gigantic Richard Keel. What do you think about that? Cool. Liam, any final thoughts on the Cannonball Run? Would you recommend this? No. <laughs> I mean, it, the people who love it already love it. You know, yeah. they don't need us to recommend it. If you are curious about it, I guess it's kind of interesting as like a historical like that happened. But I just think if you're not already into this sort of thing, it's not going to win you over. If you're like me, Liam, a lot of it was, oh, these are a lot of familiar famous faces. Almost all of them are dead. Like, it, it was just yeah. a cavalcade of dead people. I mean, it's 1981, so that's not a huge surprise. But even a lot of the young people in it are dead at this point. So it's kind of a depressing movie to watch as well. Uh, for me, at the very least. Hey, if you're a lover of the Cannonball Run, you want to tell us how ridiculous we are for not liking it, uh, you could tell us that over at cinemasmorgasbord.com. Liam, on the next episode of We Do Our Own Stunts, we will be moving back to Hong Kong, mercifully, as I said, to check out 1982's Dragon Lord. Uh, this is not a movie I know very much about, not one I've seen before. It seems kind of like Jackie's last hurrah with old school type kung fu movies. Sure. Before yeah. before taking, you know, taking things into a more modern direction with higher budgets and things like that. I always think, you know, whatever we think about his experience in Hollywood and how negative it was for him, it's gonna be very formative. Where instead of Golden Harvest thinking, oh, he will be the next Bruce Lee in the sense that he will be our next mainstream, you know, uh, Hong Kong star in Hollywood making Hollywood movies, that instead he's going to be like, no, I'm going to bring Hollywood to Hong Kong and make Hollywood style movies, or, that, or at least with those production values within Hong Kong. And that's what we're going to start seeing over our next few episodes. Well, we got to get to Fantasy Mission Force first, which is not that at all. But yeah, on the next episode, 1982's Dragon Lord. You know anything about this movie, Liam? No, I had not heard of it before. I'm excited to check it out. Well, anything would be exciting after our last two episodes. So I'm glad <laughs> that we checked it out. And again, it's very formative, very important for his career. And now things are going to, with a few speed bumps, uh, going full speed ahead. That's a, uh, just like the cars in the Cannonball Run. If people want to check out We Do Our Own Stunts Archive or other great podcasts, what's the best way for them to do so? Well, you can head to Cinepunks.com. That's C-I-N-E-P-U-N-X. Uh, not just for the latest episodes of Cinema Sport, but a whole variety of podcasts over there, whether it's Twitch of the Death Nerve, Tomb of Ideas, The Carnage Report, Harvest, there's a bunch of stuff over there. And as you said already, Doug, people can enter cinemasmorgasbord.com for our whole archive of past shows. And also, let us know what they think. Uh, they can find Cinema Smorgasbord on Twitter, at Cinemasmorg. And you can find Cinepunks on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram and Blue Sky now, all C-I-N-E-P-U-N-X. Blue Sky is going to be opening up, I guess, to the general public very soon. So uh, hopefully people can check us out. I'm over on Blue Sky. Uh, just look up Doug Tilly. It's T-I-L-L-E-Y. You can go over to Cinema Smorgasbord and see our podcast devoted to such diverse topics as the career of Carol Kane, Steve Buscemi, Alejandro Jodorowsky, Paul Bartel, George Kennedy. So much more over at cinemasmorgasbord.com. But for now, Liam, we need to take a little break. We're going to be back very soon with 1982's Dragon Lord. Good night, everyone. Night-night. Night-night. 